Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. After a weekend where it's pretty easy to forget what happened on the pitch, we'll be pondering some of the great questions of the day, such as, can anyone stop Monaco? Are PSG actually the good guys? And with just three points separating the top four teams in Ligue 1 with five games to go for the first time ever, is Ligue 1 actually the most super of all the leagues? We'll be discussing the, uh, the European Super League from a French football perspective, um, reviewing PSG's dramatic win over Saint-Étienne and Bordeaux's thrashing at the hands of Monaco, as well as casting our minds to this week's Coupe de France quarterfinals. I'm your host, Jake Smales, and I'm joined tonight by a slightly rotated cast. It seems we have some end-of-season fatigue seeping in. Um, firstly, I have a man who, much like Neymar, has missed a stretch of the season, but come back fit and come back fighting just as things get decisive. Philippe Bargiel, how are you doing? Yes, good evening. Uh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Very well, indeed. Um, I'm also joined by uh, GFFN Chief Features Writer and the Modern Footballer Editor, Adam White. Uh, good evening, Adam. Great to have you on. Cheers, Jake. Yeah, I'm, uh, to continue the analogy, I'm, I'm sort of in busting for this Coupe de France midweek round, you know, one of the, one of the from the CFR promoted as a, as a reserve to, to come in and do a job. <laughs> well, we're very, we're very glad to have you. Um, we've been promoting the quite brilliant fourth issue of the Modern Footballer on the show over the past couple of weeks. And I'm not just saying that um, being a con contributor myself, but as editor of the magazine, could you give us perhaps a bit more of an articulate insight into the latest issue and, and what people can expect from it? Yeah, it's um, so it's sort of a, a, a best way to think of it is sort of a, a, a sort of a quarterly update on the latest goings on from across the, the continent. Um, this latest issue is 140 pages long and we focus on uh, articles on um, the sort of burgeoning talent from across the top five leagues. Um, there's 10 of those player profiles covering players like Florian Wirtz, Jude Bellingham, Renato Sanchez is in there this time around. Uh, Sven Botman, brilliantly written by yourself. Um, and there's uh, a, a host of sort of dedicated club uh, pieces uh, focusing on the sort of inner workings of the major clubs from across the continent, um, talking about buying sort of transfer news, the useful players coming through at Juventus. Uh, and there's some brilliant sort of more historical feature articles as well, focusing on Diego Maradona and um, Jeremy Smith, also of this parish, the brilliant piece on Bob Marley's brief uh, uh, sort of stint with SC Nantes when he played a five-a-side game against them, which is really good fun. And there's also a round of all the latest news. So hopefully it's really in-depth and there's something for everyone and a good sort of good way into European football and, and accessible and, and a good sort of companion to, to the continental game. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it's an excellent companion to the continental game. And I have to say the Bob Marley article was a real personal highlight for me. I thought that was a uh, a brilliant, brilliant bit of fun and brilliantly written. So, so yeah, please be sure to to grab a copy of that. Anyway, let's get stuck into the uh, elephant in the room, I suppose. Um, we have, of course, over the last 24 hours, seen the announcement that 12 of Europe's quote-unquote top teams intend on breaking away from the UEFA Champions League in order to form a European Super League. Uh, reportedly spearheaded by Andrea Agnelli of Juventus, uh, Florentino Perez of Real Madrid, Manchester United owners the Glazers and Liverpool owners Fenway Sports Group. The league is set to see 15 permanent teams compete alongside five sides who will be able to qualify in a 20-team tournament which will take place midweek, replacing existing European competitions. But not, or so these clubs would intend, 
uh, altering their participation in their domestic leagues. Um, as I'm sure you've all read by now, the founding members are AC Milan, Arsenal, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Barcelona, Inter, Juventus, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Real Madrid and Tottenham. The founding clubs will receive a net grant of approximately 3.5 billion euros shared among them. Um, representatives we have then of, of England, Italy and Spain, but not Germany or France. Um, the lack of German representation is perhaps slightly more understandable given uh, their regulations around fan ownership. But a big surprise for many, of course, is uh, internationally, at least, has been the absence of Paris Saint-Germain, who have reportedly refused an invitation to join the league. Uh, we'll move on to them in a second. But Phil, what do you make of the timing of, of this decision? Is, is it a shock or given that the Champions League reforms were, were set to come into place today or were announced today by UEFA, is, is, is this somewhat expected? And it's definitely something that's been coming and rumoured for a while, right? Yes, but I think it's, it's taken aback all of us. I mean, even uh, people who follow football uh, on, a, on a daily basis, it's, uh, it still comes as a, as a pretty big shot. I, was, I mean, I was really not expecting something like that. And having uh, looked at uh, what um, the details are of this European Super League, uh, I, I think it's actually uh, a quite uh, uh, swift move by the uh, 12 clubs included and that uh, Piaget and Bayern are not saying yes because they don't want uh, they kind of don't want uh, to, to say to UEFA you know what we're, we're leaving uh, but they're not saying they're not saying no to the European European Super League either I think I think it's very much uh, a stay on defense type type of type of thing and um, yeah th those 12 clubs so you've got so you, you've got six English three Italians and three Sp uh, Spanish some of them, it's you know, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit over the top, given that some of us, uh, some of them, have never been, uh, have never won actually the uh, a major, major competition. Others have not been uh, an actual decent league side uh, for for a very long time, like Atletico Madrid. So yeah, it comes, it comes as a shock, but uh, to, to if you look at it, it's it's quite well planned, uh, and how all those twelve clubs. Are saying to UEFA, look, uh, we we're not satisfied with with what with what you're offering. Uh, we've been waiting for a reform for a couple of for 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 a while now. I'm not going to say years because I I'm, I mean no nobody I mean none of us three are members of a board of a major club if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So we're not uh, we don't know the the go the comings and goings in, in, within those twelve clubs, but they're basically saying we're not happy. Do something do something about it. And the way it's being done, it's really taken taken away for by by surprise. And uh, to me, this this whole uh, we're going to suspend to suspend the players who take part in the Super League uh, for international duty. First of all, they can't really do that for the World Cup, but we'll we'll, we'll get back to this. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, it it really seems a very panicky, extremely panicky move. I mean, the next few days are going to, going to be extremely exciting, and they are probably going to change. Uh, the face of the, of uh, European football as we as we see it, it's going to change anyway, but it may really go 180 degrees. And uh, I'm not sure if it's exciting, not sure if it's uh, uh, if it's worrying or if it's depressing. 
I mean, I've been I've been uh, telling, uh, saying for some time that they should do a European Super League so that they could and take take VAR with them. Please, please take VAR with them, and leave uh, <laughs> and get get back to get back to real roots of football with affordable prices, with just you know a more a more simpler game. So yeah, that's my introduction to the debate, if you will. So Phil, your your kind of two cents is that you're glad these clubs are leaving their their leagues. You 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 think so long, good riddance, and they can just you know go off and do their super league and 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 leave the real fans um, with the, with the national leagues behind. The thing is, I didn't uh, I didn't expect that. I, I expected UEFA to to propose a deal with the big clubs and actually form a super league like a championship, like the Premiership, like Ligue 1, like Ligue 2, like National and CFA and and all that. But they're not really doing that. They're, they're just uh, doing their own European competition. That's it. So it really doesn't change much for, for, for Ligue 1 or, or, or the Premiership or the Bundesliga. What, the only thing that changes is what happens if a club that is not in the, uh, in the 12th you mentioned. I'm, I'm really thinking about the UK there because you've got six clubs who are uh, definitely 100% sure of competing in this European Super League, even if they finish bottom of the table. I mean, you know, I mean, no, no offense to, to to Spurs or Arsenal fans, but uh, what what they're doing is not exactly Champions League quality, and they're going, and they're probably going to end up playing champion, well, European Super League football, which is, you know, uh, uh, a Champions League 2.0, if you will, even if they're not they're not in form and or they have uh, terrible players, they have more money. Are they going to spend it uh, as as well as uh, as they uh, as they have been? And that's you know that's a big uh, that's a big question. I mean, this is all very exciting, but it could you know it could it could uh, yeah it could end in tears. Well, I'm glad you're excited, Phil, because I think for many of us who are, are fans of the teams involved, it's a it's a pretty nightmarish situation. I think in part for some of the reasons that you outlined there. Um, I, I am I'm keen to to move things on to discuss this, particularly under a, a French lens, and and the big story in that perspective is obviously that. Paris Saint-Germain refused the invitation. Um, there's been speculation as to why that has been. Um, perhaps some some of the speculation from more reputable sources than than elsewhere. Um, we had someone on Twitter, CJ, ask: Is the only reason PSG are not in the Super League because of Nasser El Khalifi, um, his ties with B in Sport, who of course um, have invested a lot in the Champions League broadcast rights? Um, Adam, do you think that could be playing a role? Do you think that um, perhaps uh, it's to do with the relationship between the Paris Saint-Germain board and UEFA president Alexander Seferin? Or, as Phil kind of alluded to at the start, do you think this could be a, a power play from PSG, a kind of let's wait and see what happens with the other clubs before we, we commit? What do you it's, reckon? It's, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? It's so difficult to know. It could be elements of all three. It could be something we've got no idea about. It could be it could be just one of those, one of those sort of possibilities you mentioned. We, we've heard reports that... The, the 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 close relationship between the PSG board and Alexander Cheferin is is a is a key factor as to why they haven't signed up yet. But I think that the 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 way that it plays out for PSG is perhaps the most sort of interesting aspect of of how this sort of goes ahead, if you like, because you've kind of kind of in the middle. Like if she's kind of what Phil was saying that. You know, there's there's twelve teams that are, seem to be varying degrees of in. Some seem to be all the way in, like Florentino Perez and Real Madrid, and and Andrea and Yali and, and Juventus, and some who are 
supposedly some have said are sort of on 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 the bus but not particularly enamored with the idea they just feel they need to be there and then you've got sort of buying i think i think they made a statement today that said they're against the idea dortmund have said that as well today and PSG is somewhere in the middle they're sort of keeping quiet this and you would the natural assumption is to is that regardless of their relationship with with being sports and with with, with Alexander Chefferin is that if it goes ahead they 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 would obvi- they would they would move into the Super League um pretty soon that's that just feels like the most obvious course for this um but it is really interesting so far that they have they have have said no and and, and we kind of need more information really to 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 make a to make a sort of a judgment on the situation because we really uh, everything we're a little bit in the dark this 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 Chefferin link seems to be viable but whether that will hold is another is another question so it's it's really interesting from from a PSG standpoint for now they're they're holding holding true but I, I, it's it's so up in the air and there's so much to be decided I imagine this is a sensible decision from their point of view from a completely selfish point of view if, if you're a PSG supporter that they sort of wait to see how it plays out they keep their sort of powder dry as it were until they know the full situation and they go one way or the other they say okay we're joining you or okay we're against you because of all the sort of bans and restrictions that have been brought in and and, and the sort of Ferrari against it so yeah it's I think it's too early to, to, to sort of cast PSG in, in one light or the other at the moment. For sure. It, it does, however, um, as you say, I think it paints them in a good light for the time being, because yeah. even if that is their ultimate intention, you know, there has been a lot of, um, I think a lot of people, particularly in the UK, have been praising them for that decision, perhaps not aware of or, or maybe considering the nuances or, or future possibilities. But they have kind of for once, at least in, in this country, been been presented as the good guys in the situation. And and of course, it could lead to a, a Champions League victory if we are to believe <laughs> that... Um, you know that that uh, as mm. has been kind of stated by some people involved in UEFA, the um, the other three semi finalists, of course, Chelsea, Real Madrid, um, Manchester Man- City, Real Madrid, Madrid, Chelsea, of course, yeah. Manchester City, yeah. So so you know those three are kicked out. Then then Paris Saint Germain are uh, the champions. But then it's it's got of the shape the shape of things to come. Say tomorrow UEFA announced that the other three teams are being kicked out and PSG are you know named European champions by default. It's a hollow victory, you know. This has been the holy grail. Of, I mean, of course, it's a hollow victory. I'm saying it like it's like it's not not a surprise. Of course, it, of course, it is. But mm-hmm. the I think that this the, football is going to be littered with. In theory, it could be littered with meaningless trophies over the next well for the foreseeable future if this goes ahead. And I'm 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 pleased that that Phil seems seems much more sort of open-minded than 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 many people online or gary neville for example um but i I think that's that's good because i think that there is an element of this that we all love football and we do need to keep an open mind because you know this could go ahead and and it could be it could be sort of all we're left with to some extent so we we kind of have to we kind of have to try and keep it going but i i just i thought i felt it was worth mentioning that I, we were talking before we came on. I, I sort of felt pretty rubbish about this for the last two days, and I, I really feel that we should we should make the case that this is a this is a terrible idea, and uh, in theory it is a terrible idea. And, and from my point of view, it could genuinely mean the death of the sport. Because I, I think that Phil made a one interesting point that that is worth mentioning as well is that um, that you there's there's sort of a there's a sort of a need to to well, maybe I'm sort of ad-libbing a little bit of what Phil was saying, but there's there's sort of a need to evolve. You know, he's saying, you know, there was, the, you know, I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner. And I really think football does need to to evolve. But um, 
it's it's how they go about doing that. And and I know I'm, I know I don't want to take up too much of the of the airtime, but um, just just to sort of sum it up, you know, I'm my concern is that we come out the other side and say no football matters because if you've got this Super League which is closed and half the teams get half through the season and realize okay there's two groups of 10 isn't there the top three qualify the next two go into mm-hmm. playoffs yeah. you get teams towards the end of the season who are going to play quite a lot of games they're going to play 18 games in the group stage so i imagine home and away you get their last six seven eight games where they realize they can't qualify tottenham arsenal maybe a to madrid at the moment and they're meaningless games completely meaningless games and it completely ruins the, the integrity of the competition because you, you, the difference between playing Arsenal or Tottenham on the, on the opening day of the season, if you're Barcelona, for example, versus playing on the last day of the season, is then two massively different propositions. Um, and you, you have a completely sort of uneven league to the point where the fixture list makes up a, a big chunk of your possibility of going into the, the knockout stages. And then if we're, if we're sort of, if we're sort of saying that there's, um, you know, one of the reasons we're doing this is because the group stages of the Champions League are weak and, and boring, then we end up with basically the same thing. Like the sporting product is is weak, is weakened. You just end up with a group like I say, the Champions League, which which is obviously not what anybody wants, except for John W. Henry, Florentino Perez, and Yelly and the Glazers. Um, and I I just feel that it's as with everybody, I think we should say it that you know echo the, the the selfishness that this that this underlines, and and the fact that. The the four five clubs really have sort of gathered the bigger other clubs together and gone up and said this is our game. They've basically said this is for us. Mm-hmm. They said that football is for us. Frontino Perez has said this is mine, and it's not for it's not for the for the, the people that built these clubs, have built this game, or built the, the fan base of, of the sport in general. It's for us. It's to make it's a vehicle for making us money, and and he's happy to do that, or they are happy to do that. At, potentially the risk of every other team there's talk of solidarity payments which is extremely vague and and we have no reason to believe or even understand what that that means but you could end up with national leagues say the premier league loses the top six teams maybe they are banned maybe they're not maybe they keep playing but you end up with the same problem in that those top six teams once they get to christmas say tottenham man united and maybe chelsea and arsenal can't win the league by that point they stop caring because they don't need to worry about qualifying for the Champions League. They don't need to qualify the Europa League. They don't need to even worry about relegation, really, because they're getting so much money exactly. from the Super League. And you, it ruins it ruins the integrity of the competition. Playing Chelsea on day one when they're all up for winning the Premier League and and you know new manager, new players, whatever, great. That they're going to be difficult to play against. But five games before the end of the season, ten games before the end of the season, they're not going to care. And and if you're if you're like a, a team fighting against relegation or someone like West Ham or Newcastle, who maybe who might you're in a bigger club who's maybe pushing for a Europa League place once everything shakes out you, you've got a completely different position it ruins the integrity of the sport it's the worst sporting product and and i'm going on just one more point the worst thing about it is that 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 not only reduces the integrity of the sport but it, it d- diminishes the appeal for sponsors and for for investors and for tv rights because less people care means less people watch means less people uh, you know can be you know uh, would be interested in sponsoring any particular event um so uh, yeah, I, I, and in theory, that those clubs that benefit so much from the Premier League and from you know their domestic leagues, TV rights and sponsorship like Leicester and like West Ham and like Aston Villa, or whatever, they their revenue decreases to the point where they lose their better players because they have to the Super League because because they have to sell them because they their their, their budget is such that they can't make up the deficit, and and it, and fans of those clubs become disenfranchised. They stop watching the sport, and we're already not accessible to younger people. 
who who perhaps would love to go to games, would love to stand on the terraces as they did 20, 30 years ago, which is the lifeblood of the sport. That's where football progresses and keeps keeps going, keeps that sort of perpetual motion coming from. Without them, the sport loses momentum. And, and, and yes, they might not go and start playing tennis or they might not play volleyball, but they might go and play Fortnite. They might do other things. Football can't be so arrogant as to believe that its position of power at the moment is is universal and will stay forever. It might not be competing against other sports, but they are still competing against other entertainment and they need to remain accessible and and open and inclusive. And and this is the opposite of that. Exactly. I, I don't think I've, I've heard it put better, to be honest, even even by your, your Gary Neville's in this country and, 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 and co. But, um, you know, Real Madrid, Real Madrid playing Manchester United, however many times a season every year stops becoming a big game and loses its appeal. That's that's a fact that is is going to happen uh, if this continues. Phil, did you want to did you want to just jump in there? Before we go, yeah, French football. To, to respond to respond to the thirty-seven points that uh, that Adam just made. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I just felt like it needed to be said. You know, the, the, I'm I mean, glad you did. No, I mean, I, I agree with with everything. There are a couple of points. Uh, to me, uh, it's not it's not exactly pragmatism, but it's more like uh, uh, being disheartened with with the whole nature of the game. Is that a, new, a European Super League? Doesn't really change that much to to what we have. I mean, what what you described about uh, said side saying, oh, we don't care because we've already got the European Super League, so we don't really need to play the leagues, you know, to to the full. So we don't. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so that's what, one of the points. But basically, it doesn't change um, that much because uh, aside from 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 qualification, because most of the European Super League in the, in the uh, first stage is going to be boring, and then it's going to become interesting. It's going to generate a lot of a lot of TV deals, a lot of revenue, a lot of money money coming in. So it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't change that much. And to me, this whole this whole closed uh, closed thing is really to entice uh, American and Chinese viewership who are who are into this uh, kind of uh, franchise stuff. Not sure why, but you know. Sure. But, but 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 don't don't you think that 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 in itself disenfranchises? And I know, of course that's the aim. That's what you know. That's what these clubs are aiming for. They're aiming to expand their viewership and 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 bring in the revenue that that entails. But you know, surely you you can see that it's the, it's the domestic fans who get disenfranchised as a result. And I'm not I'm not you know I'm not. Of course, it's, football is a global game, and and of course you know we love this game and we want it to be enjoyed by everyone around the world. But I think the the risk the, the the of course this system is a beneficiary uh, the beneficiaries of this system I should say are fans who perhaps have a greater interest in you know the way that American sports work or or these kind of franchises as you say Phil but actually you know there are a lot of I mean the backlash in in the UK already has been has been has been palpable the biggest I've ever I've seen to any footballing decision and and these the the fans of these teams domestically. Um, um, as well as many of the international fans who who perhaps um, um, kind of appreciate the the history of the sport and and not and the tradition involved and the values involved, they're the ones who are going to be going to be disenfranchised and they're the ones who are going to are going to lose out. Unfortunately, I think uh, that ha- that has been happening for the last fifteen years, and that uh, that doesn't sure. is going to change much to uh, those 12 clubs who are forming the European Super League. It's not going to change much to uh, to PSG or Bayern. I mean, Bayern have been uh, criticising the board for some time What with uh, the, the money they're receiving from Qatar Airways, um, uh, uh, putting banners up, uh, basically complaining and the board saying, you know what, we don't, I don't, we don't really give a shit about what your, what your banners say. Uh, it's the same, I mean, the, the, the UK is... Um, 
is uh, is even worse to me because there's no ultras, there's no organization of uh, of fans who uh, who are able to to protest. Mm. Um, and this is this is basically all those six clubs saying, you know what, we don't really care about the fans, and and we ha- and they have mm. some time. I mean, this is why. I mean, I I am a PSG season ticket holder, but most of it is uh, is to is to make a profit from it because. Because the, uh, the 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 uh, the the product and the way the club treats its fans is not satisfactory. It's just, I mean, if if you have a problem with the club, the club really, really, really doesn't give a shit. And PSG, in that respect, are are more of a a better in a PR sense than most Premiership clubs or other clubs like Bayern. So, you know, it's it's that. Those those clubs, those big massive clubs with uh, players who are millionaires. I mean, they're, they're, they're beyond caring, and uh, this has basically proved it. They're basically saying, look, we only get, uh, we only get 100 million euros a year. Like it's, like it's not enough, you know. We can't <laughs> live with that. You know, we, we, need, we need more. On yeah, of course. And, and that is the way the game has been moving, moving for a long time. I don't think anyone, but it's just, it's, 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 I think for a lot of people, it's like this is the final nail in the coffin. Yeah, exactly. So you know, let's go. Let's let's all go to go to uh, non-league football and go to Canet Roussillon or whatever. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll come on. We'll come on to to them in particular later on. But sorry, Jake, can I just can I just add okay. one more thing? I know that just because it's it's you know eye of the storm, I guess we, we might as well say it. The one vinyl point, I'll keep it brief. The the own the thing that is all those things we both just said are fine, but the, the real the only real problem here is that it's closed. That if they if this was the new revamped Champions League, yes, it would be very. It's not great, but it's so so it's smaller, and you're you're marginalising the small the the sort of minor leagues and the theoretically minor leagues. That's that's not great, obviously, and 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 that's that shouldn't be the case, obviously. Each all things being all all the leagues should be treated exactly the same, but obviously they're not. If this was a twenty team Champions League and it was a new Champions League and the 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 twenty places were you qualified via national leagues. That would be, wouldn't be, you know, great, but it would be acceptable given the circumstances. Because they've got the Europa League, they've got this new Europa Conference, they've got there's plenty of European football supposedly for 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 the for, the, for every, you know, every every country, every league. That's the only problem, and and in theory, if if we're, if we're boiling it down, and it, that's the thing that that is that is so dangerous and and so so damaging. If if we had this twenty team version. It wouldn't be much different to the current Champions League. They'd get their extra games and their extra money, and and the the integrity of all the other competitions would be would be sustained to some extent. So that's the real issue. Maybe there's a situation where this is just another bargaining bargaining position, and UEFA come around and agree to that eventually anyway, and we will go back to you know the, what we were doing before, and it's just a different Champions League. So um, that's 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 also something that we should point out. It's the closed nature that is the real crux of the problem. Mm-hmm. If it, that's Exactly, and, and and what that what that potentially means for kind of how you know how how the money does filter down the footballing pyramid, um, particularly in the UK. Um, anyway, I, yeah, I am keen to move us on for time's sake. Uh, just a couple of quick ones um, here. Uh, Emerson asks on Twitter. I read in some reports that the Super League project was trying to lure in PSG along with another French club. Had it been confirmed, what other club might have been involved? Um, Phil, any ideas? Uh, either Lyon or Marseille. I'm thinking Lyon, given uh, Olas's, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, that he likes money. Uh, maybe, maybe both. But if I had to choose between the two, I'd say Lyon. 
And um, the final point on that, because actually kind of since then, um, obviously we've had PSG take their stance and we've had Jean-Michel Olas come out uh, and say um, as a result of PSG's decision, or I guess kind of in, 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 in tandem with PSG's decision, he said, we will build together with Nasser uh, the future of a football where sporting meritocracy and emotion is not forgotten. So it sounds like Jean-Michel Olas would have been kind of fairly against the idea in the first place. Adam, um, my question is, like, if Paris Saint-Germain were to, to stay out of this, super, let's say the Super League goes ahead, but Paris Saint-Germain do stay out of it, um, you know, to the surprise of, of, of most people, I think it's fair to say, um, could that perhaps be a positive step uh, for Ligue 1, you know, would that would that kind of bring bring a greater appeal or a greater competitiveness to the to the league in the way that it might to the Bundesliga as well? Should the German team stay up compared to say the other leagues involved if those big teams are either axed from the league or just stop uh, being invested? I guess in 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 the, their respective domestic leagues. Yeah, it's difficult. It's obviously it's difficult to say. I guess it depends what happens with the other leagues whether those teams are expelled. But I think that although France suffers from the comparison, that the fact that the the in, Obviously, it's not. It's, it's sort of a, a something that sort of has kind of been built up via the internet, if you like this sort of, or the or the the media in general. You know, the top five leagues thing, but they're sort of seen as five relatively equal uh, uh, divisions. Not maybe not in quality, but in terms of stature to some extent, and in terms of in terms of size and 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 form, and they're all kind of the same. So yes, they may be varying in qualities, but they all do the same things with roughly the same quality of football. Um, and that unbalances this. So if PSG stay, then um, France is, remains whole. So does Germany remains intact. The, the, the integrity of the league to some, is, is preserved to some extent. And you, do we end up with, you, sort of, you were sort of speculating a little bit, but do we end up with a big two of France and Germany and the Super League is just kind of a Champions mm. League and the other leagues don't matter? Is that good for French football? Maybe because it becomes, you know, it's, it, it has its integrity at least to some extent. Um, in, 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 as it is now, you know, you could argue one way or the other whether that's the case anyway, but as it stands, nothing much would change. Or does it become, by comparison, does it, does it, does it diminish by comparison because the Super League becomes the dominant force and France and Germany are just other leagues that, that obviously are not competing in, on that sort of level kind of playing field in terms of structure and, and, and form and, and, and size of, you know, footballing nation, you know. So I, I, if PSG stay, then then that's I think that's that's only good for French football. Whether it's good for them is 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 open to debate. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think I think we need to kind of it's another one. Where we there's various possible options, but we, we kind of need to see how it plays out. But it, in theory, sure. it could, it could work out for Ligue 1. But again, we have to see what how it plays out. Yeah, there is so much um, uncertainty at the moment. We'll have to see uh, what the next few days and I guess few few weeks even entail. But yeah, I think um, a, a very uncertain time for European football and for many a very um, perplexing and um, disheartening time uh, as well. Uh, anyway, let's um, move on to some of the actual football from the weekend and, and cheer ourselves up. Um, and we'll begin with uh, Paris Saint-Germain, who, after reaching the Champions League semi-finals for the second consecutive season, uh, returned to domestic action on Sunday by welcoming Saint-Étienne to the Parc des Princes with the aim of cutting the lead at the top of Ligue 1 to just one point. Les Parisiens had, however, lost their last three league home games, while their opponents had won three of their last four matches to finally quash any serious concerns of relegation. A must-win game for the home side, the match was a pedestrian one, 
which saw little in the way of significant action, that is, until the final 20 minutes. Denis Buanga's volley um, sent Saint-Étienne into the lead in the 78th minutes before Kylian Mbappe equalised under two minutes later. Mbappe then won his side a penalty with three minutes to go, which the World Cup winner then converted to make it 2-1. The tables, however, turned again in injury time as Sergio Rico spilled a Saint-Étienne shot into the path of Roman Amuma, who equalised. It looked for all the world like more dropped points for Les Parisiens and another blow to their title chances, but in the 95th minute, Mauro Icardi headed in to snatch a late win for the home side to take them one point behind leaders Lille. Phil, a lot of drama at the end there, um, but uh, it was very much a case of Paris Saint-Germain relying on moments of magic. Again, it was another poor performance from Le Parisien, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very forgettable uh, first, uh, well, actually, uh, most of the game. Um, not, I mean, um, the uh, Saint-Étienne goalkeeper, Mr. Green, great, great name for a Saint-Étienne goalkeeper, um, had, uh, had nothing to do, uh, not much anyway, and, uh, M- and uh, Kylian Mbappe certainly, certainly saved us. A typical, typical league performance, and uh, thanks, well, we, we have to thank Mbappe for earning that penalty, scoring that goal, and uh, Icardi for, for the winner, but uh, the defending was uh, quite, quite poor on Saint-Étienne's second goal. And uh, this side, yeah, still uh, very much struggles to uh, keep a clean sheet against, I'm not going to say subpar, because Saint-Étienne have actually been improving uh, for the past few uh, weeks slash months. But uh, still, this, this, could have, this should have been a routine, uh, routine 3-0. But uh, Saint-Étienne were, I mean, were organized at the back. They had this, those, those two lines. It was, uh, it was quite difficult to find some space. And this is, this is the difference between uh, Champions League PSG sorry, mm. and uh, Ligue 1 PSG, where uh, PSG can play on the counter. Uh, they can't really do that in Ligue 1 because uh, they're basically playing with, uh, against 10 men who play 10 men behind the ball. So uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, uh, PSG are not the only side struggling with that type of uh, scenario. And uh, it's, going to, it's going to stay that way. I mean, I do, I do believe that uh, that is going to stay that way against Manchester City in the semis, given uh, Guardiola uh, likes, uh, likes his teams to, uh, to keep the ball and pass it around. Uh, but uh, those games need, need to be won in, in Liga. And it's, uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm not sure if we, if we were going to talk about Lille, Lille versus Montpellier, but Montpellier actually did to Lille exactly what Lille did to us. And this, is, this just shows that uh, you may be Mbappé or Neymar or PSG or, you know, uh, European Super League. Uh, it's still going to be very, very hard to, to play against a side, an organized uh, de- defense uh, who play, um, uh, who play uh, a very low line uh, just, uh, just in front of the penalty area. And that's, you know, that's another, that's another thing. That's another way football has gone as well. Is it, uh, you know, is it, is it exciting? It depends. Um, Adam, surely um, this this is this is uh, this para- I mean, this is a weakness that this Paris Saint-Germain side clearly has. We've seen how um, dynamic they were able to be against uh, Barcelona and Bayern Munich in those more open Champions League ties, as Phil says. But this, they really seem to struggle against sides who who play with a low block, who who kind of keep things compact and um, focus on 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 defending. I mean, obviously their recent defeats to to Lille and to to Nantes at home uh, spring to mind. Um, 
yeah, surely this is this is a, something this side needs to work on, or, or Mauricio Pochettino needs to work on. And if you are Pep Guardiola, I mean, well, a couple of uncertainties there. Firstly, Guardiola is unlikely to stem from his game plan, you would think. Um, and secondly, will that game even go ahead? You know, we, we wait to see. But if you are Guardiola, do you look at that and, and see that as, as as a weakness in this side to be exploited? Yeah, I think you have to. I think I think it's almost a weakness of Pochettino to some extent, because this is a situation that he probably isn't used to being the superior force, overwhelmingly on in theory, the superior force. When he was in the Premier League with Tottenham and Southampton and, you know, Espanyol, maybe Tottenham a little bit. But in general, he would have been playing against teams that maybe at home for Spurs sometimes, but he would be playing against teams that would have been a lot more progressive uh, and a lot more expansive and, and, and more, more sort of aggressive in general. And playing against his low block is something that he's perhaps very rarely had to come up against uh, as a manager. Um, and PSG have always come up against that and have always found ways around it. You look at Blanc and, and Emery suffocating teams with their possession and uh, Tuchel with, with sort of an intensity and, uh, and across a, a sort of a very sort of uh, sort of taut kind of sometimes a 4-4-2, sometimes a, a 4-3-3, sometimes even with, with wing backs. Um, and, and they found ways around it. So I think perhaps it's something that it's a weakness of what team is at the moment that he'll he'll find find a solution to. He's a good coach. Um, the other thing that that, is, that stands out, which makes perhaps has made this league and title race so exciting, and uh, is that PSG is so brittle in midfield and, and defence. They're so porous. It's so easy to play through them when they lose the ball in in a relatively dangerous position or on the counter attack. You you where you end up with with whoever plays midfield. Maybe it's Danilo, for example, who's not particularly mobile, and and he's playing alongside perhaps Herrera, who's not also not particularly not particularly quick. Uh, and and they don't have the organisation or intensity of Tuchel's um, of regime or the previous sort of suffocating effect of that possession um, of previous eras as well to to to, to nullify quick counters, incisive pace uh, on the break, and and it's sort of a it's sort of a bad, a really bad combination because they they're ponderous on the penalty area, they lose the ball, and then the, the, when they counterattack, they don't have the the, the organisational sort of acumen, if you like, to, 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 to nullify any any quick counter. And they just play through so easily, which is, you know, the Lorient game was a great example of that, especially at the end when when they were attacking, trying to find their way through, they were sort of crowded out and Terry Moffi had the half of the pitch to himself and scored the winner. Mm. And and there was instances of that at, at the weekend. Obviously, the goals were slightly different. They both came from from crosses. But the, there was in there were instances where you thought, hello, Sinetian are in here. And, and maybe they didn't score, but just PSG are just too too brittle throughout the side and perhaps they haven't figured out a way to get past that low block yet so it's from Guardiola's point of view perhaps those two things aren't aren't necessarily um big big deals but you you'd expect him to make the most of the losing the ball high at the pitch and counter-tracking because that's you know the sort of counter-pressing and, and pressing is something that he seems to do pretty well so that he'll notice that and, and that could be PSG's undoing. But the fact they're not going to sit in as well, Manchester City, will also be a benefit to PSG. So mm. we could have a very similar game as we had against Bayern if it goes ahead. If it goes ahead. If it goes yeah. ahead. Yeah. Um, uh, and we should say as well that uh, Kylian Mbappe uh, has now scored 35 goals in all competitions this season. Only Robert Lewandowski with 42 has more in Europe's top five leagues. He said after the game, people say that winning uh, in Ligue 1 is easy. It isn't and it never has been. There is a serious title race. I think some would say perhaps PSG have found it more straightforward in, in previous seasons, but certainly this one is uh, more of an exception. 
Anyway, I want to quickly move on to to Sante. Um, Phil, they've they've impressed recently, as as you kind of alluded to there. They've they've won three of their of their last five. Obviously, they came close to getting a result in this one. They were somewhat unlucky. Um, what do you think? The, the, I mean, uh, this is uh, one of those frustrating questions we've we've been faced with it several times this season, right? When they seem to have a mini revival under Claude Puel, only to then go on a on a losing run. But what what's what do you think is um, what do you think's kind of led to this 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 mini renaissance from them? Because they do look like they're they're safe now. Is it is it has has Puel tweaked things tactically? Is it a case of signings like like Papi Cisse at the at the back? who looked solid in that game, by the way, kind of making them more more, um, more compact and, and more combative in defence. What, what do you reckon? I think that um, it's, uh, it's, it's mainly the injuries that have been uh, less uh, severe with, with this squad than it was, than it was before. Um, I think there's, not, there's been uh, chances that have been given, opportunities that have been given to uh, players like Niu Nuba, like uh, Camara, and, and you know, they, they, it's not it's not like the, it's a first spell in this season, but um, they've been given the the manager's trust, uh, or was as a yeah, um, and um, now it's uh, it's paying dividends. They, they're much more confident um, as a as a unit. They're much more confident without the ball. That's uh, that's the most important part. And uh, also, you've got uh, someone like Wabi Kazri, who is a who is a solid league one player, and I, I would say um, a top top half player, who is uh, who is now uh, having a better a better time on the on the pitch. So it's all this thing. I mean, Saint Etienne had a really rough ride when they had when they hit uh, something like uh, uh, three consecutive defeats and uh, a very long winless winless streak. But uh, there was uh, COVID. Uh, there were players who got uh, who got COVID. They had to they had to play an extremely weakened side in the derby against Lyon. And now everything uh, um, the uh, the players are, are back. And now the club is um, this side is now hard to beat. And it's not very surprising really that uh, PSG struggled to score against uh, against uh, such a side. I mean, it's organised. It's Claude Puel basically. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they turned the corner, and you know it's not that long ago that with Eric we were discussing our Saint-Étienne g- uh, g- going to go down. I mean, we were both actually quite uh, quite confident that they would, or that they they'll be you know uh, having uh, Nîmes point totally. What uh, how how many points Nîmes currently have, which is thirty points at this stage of the season, but uh, it hasn't happened. And I think Pierre uh, uh, deserves credit, but there's also this injury uh, list that has weakened as uh, yeah. Sure, especially earlier on in the season, you think they had that that excellent start, but even then they were missing some of the more senior players, and and it just started to to take its toll on them. Anyway, let's move on to the second and final match we'll be covering in detail from the weekend, and that is Bordeaux versus Monaco. Uh, the two sides went into their weekend clash in starkly contrasting form. Monaco having lost just one match in 2021, while Bordeaux had lost their last three games and boasted just one win in the league since late January. A mistake from Paul Base saw Monaco threaten to take an early lead, and pressure paid off for Le Monegasque as they edged in front in the 29th minute through a superb strike from Kevin Bolland. Their lead was doubled two minutes after half-time, with Gelson Martins finding space in behind the defence and finding the finish. Nicolas de Preville hit the post for the visitors, or the home side, I should say, but any hope of them launching a comeback was ended with the late sending off of Tom Lacou. 
to add insult to injury, Stefan Jovetic headed home in the 90th minute to secure a 3-0 win and condemn Bordeaux to four consecutive defeats, uh, with Monaco climbing back onto the podium in third. Um, I want to start with the home side here. Um, Bordeaux have 10 points in their last 14 games. What's gone wrong with them in 2021? I mean, uh, on this podcast, we were particularly excited, I think, in January when they brought in Jean-Michael Serri um, and kind of expected them to push up on in the table. But they, they've, they've really done the opposite. Adam, what have you made of their, their recent performances and, and what, if anything, has, has gone awry for, for Jean-Louis Gasset's side? I think, well, a couple of things. I think, first of all, they're an extremely unimaginative team. Um, you look through their squad and the, the lack of, again, Hatton Ben Arf is there, so it's, you can use an exception to this, but the lack of flair and ingenuity is is crippling almost for them. And it, it has been for much of the season. I really like Gasset as a coach. He did a great job at Sinetienne. But I, I, I think that cajoling this team into into the performances that's expected of a club like Bordeaux in terms of league position is far beyond him. Um, and um, you you look at Patton Ben Arthur, who's perhaps the one player who does offer sort of ingenuity and flair. When he came in, that's when they really started to pick up, um, sort of in October, November, December time, because he signed what well, in October effectively. Um, and for the first few games, he was you know he was brilliant. Um, I remember away at Rennes uh, and and in the game of PSG. Um, and scored a couple of brilliant goals. Uh, the goal, I think it was against Brest, where they won one 0 He was fantastic and scored. I think he scored the win in that game. Um, and, and but his his form has dropped away. He is thirty four now, and and he was kind of the, the fulcrum to the to any positivity in, to, in any sort of ability to unlock a defence, create chances. And without him, since since perhaps he was injured for a bit, and since the new year, he's been. Pretty pretty poor and has dropped out the side. But without a Ben Arthur of any sort, they are unable to break down teams. They simply don't have the quality, um, and it's it's kind of depressing to watch because they're just such a such an uninspiring outfit. Um, and they've also suffered with injuries. You know, I think Otavio is a big miss uh, with his knee ligament injury. He's been out since January around the same time that Ben Arthur started to play poorly, and that affects the balance. I think he's a hugely underrated player in league, and uh, he's a huge miss. Uh, and Samuel Callow, who I actually really like, who's been in and out of the team this season because of injury too. Perhaps there's there's some ingenuity and some creation there, and he hasn't been able to find consistent form. But I, I just think that they 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 lack a means by which to, to create chances, and that's a pretty terrible um, sort of uh, de- deficiency in a league that's that's so physical and and, and stoic and and organised, and just can't break teams down. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. And um, just a a very quick one for you here. Um, They're five points above the relegation zone. So you think it's unlikely that that, that anything will happen, but but stranger things have happened. Do you think there's any chance of them kind of being dragged into the scrap for perhaps for that relegation playoff place with the likes of Nîmes or or do you think they're they're, they're safe? Five points. There's only one club between them, which is Lorient. I think think it's unlikely. It's one one more win and you'd imagine they're pretty much safe. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily. Um, uh, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I'd have to. I haven't actually. I've got their run into hand, but I'd be surprised if it didn't pick up one in it, one win in the last sort of two or five games. And they need Neem and Lauren to overtake them, which seems unlikely to. So I'd, I'd say probably not. But it's still a concern, obviously. Yeah, they are twelve to Lorient and not almost. There you go. 
That could be a good thing though, because that yeah. they, you'd expect them to be they, to 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 Nantes in particular. You know, they're, they're still a superior force. If we're just talking in very simple terms, you expect them to 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 to, to get points from that game. So, but of course, as, as the point was, Phil implies, you know, that could be a disaster. They could go and lose both those games, and and they're suddenly in in trouble. But I, I think they're, they're probably still good enough to stay up. Yeah, it could be a double-edged sword, can't it, when you face your your rivals for you know for, for Europe or for the title or for relegation in this instance, and but it can also be a, a real blessing and opportunity. So, um, yeah, I think they've got enough quality to to avoid that. Um, Phil, moving on to Monaco, that's now one defeat in their last seventeen. Um, Thirteen wins, two draws, one defeat. Um, surely they're on course to uh, finish at least in the top three. Can anything or anyone? stop them from doing that or perhaps stop them from, from kicking on further? Well, that's a very bold statement. When you look at the uh, the top of the table, when the top four is only uh, separated by four points. I mean, uh, I, was, I, I thought you were going to say top four, which is, uh, yeah, a given. But uh, <laughs> everything is, is extremely fierce. I mean, you all had, uh, had, had some disappointing uh, results um, against against Lens, not uh, not winning at, at Lens, the defeat against PSG. Could say it wasn't that disappointing, but uh, Monaco, yes, they've, they've pushed on and they're, they're having a, a wonderful season under Kovac, who's uh, really setting the record straight. Some people, some pundits had uh, some doubts about him, uh, but he's uh, he's really proving to be one uh, one hell of a one hell of a coach. Uh, with and you, you can sense that Monaco, um, unlike the other three sides, I mean PSG is a bit it's it's a bit uh, different because PSG. I was playing against sides who uh, who play who play defense, and Lille are having some uh, uh, had had some great fun in the first half of the season with Boakilma uh scoring some some good goals. Right now, it's a bit more. Uh, um, they really have to work for their for their goals. A bit like a bit like Lyon, Lyon who lot who change a bit of their systems. They're playing more of Islam Slimani instead of Memphis Depay as a false nine, um, or as a or as a centre forward. At Monaco, it seems like they're having fun. You know, they, they, it's not mm-hmm. it's not work. They're, they're just they're just playing playing their stuff, and they're not they're not particularly bothered about uh, about how uh, uh, how they're going to score goals. It's more about how many they they're going to score. With uh, with all this uh, this use, his enthusiasm, with Kevin Forlan who uh, who who just scored a, a great goal. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is, this game was basic, was really uh, two two very very different sides, uh, shall, shall we say, uh, opposite sides. You've got Bordeaux who have uh, zero creativity aside from Ben Affa. They don't have much going on for them up front. They don't have with Koscielny with uh, uh, not playing the full game. Um, to have much going going out the back either. You basically only have Kustil who's uh, who's uh, trustworthy, shall, shall we say. And then you've got Monaco, who are just uh, yeah, who are having having a great time on the pitch and scoring scoring goals for fun, and that's uh, yeah, that's that's quite quite good uh, quite good to see. It's going to be very interesting um, if uh, since you know they they haven't been picked for the Super League, uh, if they make it to to next season's uh, Champions League, um, and see how they cope with European competition. That's uh, really the uh, the big uh, uh, where 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 the big challenge lies for Kovac, and also who is going to finish fourth? Is it going to be Monaco, Lyon, PSG, Lille? It's all very open with five games to go. It's really it's really quite exciting, which is not mm. always the case. Let's be honest. No, it's not. It's not. But it does uh, it does boggle the mind that one of those four sides is is going to miss out on uh, on Champions League. 
uh, football, that is if the Champions League still exists uh, next season. Um, let's move on now to the Coupe de France quarterfinals, which take place this week. Um, you know, I think it's nice for all of us to return to the, the joys of the cup after all the, the cynicism um, and, you know, um, <laughs> rampant capitalism we kind of talked about at the top of the podcast uh, <laughs> in football. Um, so uh, what better way to, to delve into that than to discuss fourth division sides uh, enjoying their time in the in the quarterfinals of the, of the Coupe de France? We have uh, Rumi Valier of the fourth division hosting Ligue 2 promotion hopefuls Toulouse. And we also have heroes of the of the round of 32 and the great Marseille slayers, uh, Canet Roussillon, facing up against Montpellier um, and kind of elsewhere in the less giant Killy matches, I suppose. Well, still to a certain extent, you have PSG hosting Angers, uh, while in the tie of the round, Lyon host Monaco. Um, Phil, uh, you're someone who is who's journeyed in, in, the, in French lower league football. I often find myself um, imagining you kind of meandering your way through the Alps in a, in a pre-COVID landscape, wandering from stadium to stadium in a watching kind of eighth tier matches um, avidly, um, perhaps a slight exaggeration. Um, do you, um, uh, you know, we've seen in previous seasons and already this season that in the Coupe de France, there are a lot of upsets. Can you, can you envisage one happening in this round, either, either against uh, Toulouse or against uh, Montpellier? I'm afraid I didn't make it past the fifth tier, uh, <laughs> but um Going uh, over tomorrow's games, uh, yeah, I think uh, Toulouse. If 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 I, I I'm gonna say no, but if I had to 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 bet on one or the other, I'd put more money on uh, Toulouse bowing out. And I'm not saying that because they're the league du side, but because they're in a very serious and very tight uh, promotion uh, promotion mm. fight with Bayern Clermont, and uh, they may give that a miss. Honestly, I can see them playing the reserve side and say, you know what. Uh, we 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 desperately need the the Liga money, and we need to 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 be back. I mean, Toulouse it's a big place. It's a it's a, it's a club that uh, has played a lot of seasons in in Liga, and uh, they really focus on that uh, promotion. And uh, Montpellier showed uh, at Lille that they're quite uh, yeah they're quite they're very very well organised, and they can uh, they can. Um, Keep a clean sheet against against the best side, uh, the uh, the uh, league leaders, uh, Lille. So if I I would I would maybe uh, place a bet on Rumi Valier rather than Canet Roussillon. Okay, that's a shame if uh, Canet Roussillon's journey were to to end here. But yes, as you say, Mont- Montpellier seems to have found some some more form uh, recently. And even if Michel Dezacarian weren't to play the first team, as you said, to lose. Um, likely won't given their uh, league de promotion uh, battles it will um yeah it will still be a tall order you'd think for the fourth division outfit um adam leon monaco is is this a game you feel could have potential ramifications in the title race in terms of momentum i remember um there's been previous talk of, of kind of crucial cup ties at the business end of the season perhaps if one team wins that tie then maybe that gives them an edge in the league even if they're kind of behind the other do, do you think that could happen or do you do you see this as a kind of independent um event and both sides perhaps well, something both sides will rotate for and both sides will will treat slightly less seriously yeah i think i think possibly um with uh with leon having quite the quite the run-in um you know a, a loss to a, 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 a sort of a, a similar power if you like would would be would be damaging psychologically they, they play monaco in the running don't they it's in the start of may maybe two weeks 
um uh which which you know that, so there's sort of a there's sort of a little bit of foreboding there i seem to then for the other side i seem to remember the season maybe phil can correct me on this but i'm just trying to remember that there was i think it was a season that monaco won the league they were going for the champions league and obviously the league in 2017 at the same time and they played psg in a cup quarter or semi-final and they played a third choice team and, be, and psg beat them five nil I, mm. I maybe phil remember that better than me but you know, there's there's obviously uh you know that obviously didn't affect their 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 progress in the league. So um it, it'd be interesting. It the, league the league cup, yeah. I think it was the league cup final, and it wasn't that weekend, but it's just that Fabinho didn't play, and that changed everything. Yeah, I think the league cup final was was that the game again. There's might be. I think it probably was it the was, game where they won four one, and and yeah. and, and Silva Thiago Silva ba- uh, bullied Mbappe. To the point where he supposedly was in tears in the dressing room afterwards, and, and that was one that, that was arguably Thiago Silva's last great performance for PSG, in, in, my, in my opinion. But I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm think maybe I'm getting confused. But I'm, there was a game to where, where Monaco played their reserves against PSG in a cup competition mm-hmm. and got battered, and it didn't it didn't necessarily affect their their league league sort of form. So um, yeah, it's 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 difficult to say. I think it's one of those situations where you only know after the fact. You know, if, if Leon do lose here and then they turn up against Monaco in the league and they look they look a little bit sheepish and, and, and are rolled over then maybe you can look back at this game um I think this is a I think this is Monaco Monaco should be considered favorites here um and possibly for the cup in general and you could argue the favorites for the league at this point and uh, my mine and Eric's piece today in the Guardian was, was about Monaco and they're the, they're the form team and they've won 16 in the last 19 games and and you know if you if you follow that through to the end of the season and then you say the form continues okay they've got they said they've got they've got Leon a couple of times and and, and it could go either way but if you follow that through they win the league because Leo for me are stuttering and 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 PSG have, have maybe have other distractions maybe the Super League will take that away from them who knows um um and and Leon are, are, are very up and down you know they're brilliant sometimes and, and are very difficult to uh, to, to break teams down, much like much like uh, Bordeaux, to some extent, sometimes uh, as well, and they're very up and down. So um, for me, Monaco could there's a double on here for Monaco, um, and and I think Kovac is has to be manager. I know we talked a lot about how brilliant Gautier is, but um, he he's had a li- much more leading time and 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 knows his players a little bit better. Whereas whereas Kovac has had one season and. I think he's visibly improved pretty much every player in that squad, and and mm. I think they're favourites to win this game, and and they're probably favourites for for the cup. You look you look through their squad, and and you, every player has contributed this season to some extent. Even Vita Manone was decent in goal for a, <laughs> for a, for what seven or eight games. You know, he made a couple of mistakes, but he was solid enough. Um, and and the entire team has improved, and and you have to put that down to Kovac, given how how much they've been up and down in the last few years. And the squad isn't drastically different. You know, okay, Volans come in. And uh, Fafana and Chua, many have been brilliant this season. That they only came in what last January, so you know they're relatively new too. But uh, you have to put a lot of the success down to Kovac. Even Jibril Sadibi looks like he can defend to some extent at the moment, which is which is amazing. What and, miracle! Yeah, yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Um, so I, I think that Monaco should be considered favourites for this. It'd be really, it's a really interesting one, especially given its timing. And 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 I make them favourites to win the cup overall. Wow, Phil. Do you agree with uh, with with Adam there? Are Monaco favourites of the cup, or, and do you see them advancing through this tie? Um, well, first I have to to advance through, through this tie. I uh, I'm quite confident that uh, PSG won't take that one as usual, uh, but it could be. Uh, yeah, it, dep- it depends on on the Champions League, just like Adam said, and um, whether um, yeah whether we we make it to the final or not against who. Um, a lot can change in, in the next week. 
And uh, but you know, Monaco have showed uh, that uh, they know how to beat us. So it could, yeah, it could happen. I'm still quite confident though. Well, PSG, um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm going to say do the double, even though that's uh, that's a tall order. But uh, yeah, you know, on wow. if, if there's a season, one season where um, anyone can beat PSG in a Coupe de France final, it's this one. And I believe it's going to be, of course, the uh, the winner of this Lyon Monaco game. And do you think that will be Monaco, or do you think Leon Leon will get the uh, the edge over them here? It's, very, it's a very difficult question. I'm going to go. I'm going to go for, for Lyon just because they're at home. But really, that's the only reason. Okay. Which, does, which doesn't mean much in those in in these uh, uh, reclawed times. True, but that, yeah, and I guess Leon's form has picked up somewhat recently since that that's that switch to a four-two-three-one um, under uh, Rudy Garcia. Um, now just then, a, one final thing, Jake. Just on, yeah, I just we, sure. just because we, just for completionist sake, we were discussing this. This I mentioned this five nil. I found it, and it Go was on. the season Monaco won the league, and it was in the Coupe de France. I, it was in April, so around the same time as now. So I'm guessing it was probably the same stage. And, and very quickly, the Monaco team that played was Distancing Goal, Raji, Diallo, Mbe, Georges, uh, Kevin and Doran, Mayamba, Belu, sorry, Germain, uh, Andrazunia. And Andrezuna, sorry, I've actually murdered that guy's name. And even Cardona was the team that played. So against wow. against the first choice PSG team, and they got beaten beaten five 0 and, and they still went on to win the league. So, yeah, just just to round the discussion off. Yeah, well, very much a third choice team there. I think it's I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah, yeah, and just just to finish off the show, guys, um, we usually kind of end or close to the end um, have a time where if there are any other kind of key talking points from the. Uh, from the league or from the world of French football in general that happened over the weekend that you'd like to shine a light on, be it a moment or a match um, or anything really. Now, now's the time to go ahead. Um, Phil, I'll come to you first on this one. It was more of a um, post-match comment, uh, Morgan Schneidlin. So uh, Nice lost at Dijon 2-0. So it was uh, Dijon's first home, uh, home win of the season, which is you know, a, bit, a bit late. Um, and they've actually uh, uh, managed to uh, not break the record for worst side in the league uh, period. And um, Schneider, in a very Christiani interview, um, said uh, that we have we, we have we have a choice between being on vacation right away, and uh, which means the last five games and five weeks of training are going to be uh, quite long, quite uh, quite boring. And uh, just completely unprofessional, given that we are getting paid and stuff. Or we could uh, we can just work. And uh, that, to me, is a, a, again um, uh, extremely like Kashani. It, it, it is the second interview we've we've witnessed in a couple of weeks that says that uh, players aren't uh, being professional enough about um, a certain performance against a certain opponent. Mm. And uh, yeah, just wanted to point that out. Maybe if uh, maybe if players uh, aren't motivated, they should join a closed league. Perhaps <laughs> you know I hear there's one of those uh, opening up um, soon. Um, <laughs> um, Adam, anything anything you'd like to to bring to the table? Uh, yeah, we we um, we you may have mentioned it on the on the pod before, but I just wanted to sort of name check uh, David uh, David Guillon. Um, obviously announced he was um, stepping down at, at, at Reims. Um, interviewed uh, brilliantly by by Jeremy Smith for for GFFN. Check that out on on the website and on Twitter if you can. Um, um, and and I I think that um, 
he, you know, there's, there's maybe some rumblings of, of discontent between him and, and, and the hierarchy at the club, which would be a real shame because after a really difficult start to the season when they went out of Europe and before they really got anywhere in the competition and after a brilliant season last year, and they, they, were, they struggled really bad at the start of the year, they've really recovered really quite well in the second half of the year, considering their resources and the size of their, their, their club and the, the players that they have. They're currently 11th on 41 points. Um, level with Angers, who've, who've perhaps received a lot more praise this season. They've played the same amount of games as Mets, who've got uh, and only two points back, and, and we've given them a lot of praise this season as well. Um, and, and they've sort of quietly gone under the radar as, as with Guion rescuing that team from what could have been you know, a disastrous season if, if the form at the start of the year had continued. And, and you look at their, their squad and, and it, it, it underlines what a brilliant job he, he's done and, and that it's a shame that whatever the circumstances are at the club that they can't be rectified because he's he's the reason they're in this division and, and uh, they're doing as well as they are you know a solid mid-table team um who finished seventh under Michel de Zakarian of course in Ligue 2 they took over and won the league comfortably and 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 put them back in the top five and challenged for Europe last season got you know got in at the end um and um and and they've just been quietly solid and and which is which isn't very exciting or or much of a much of a talking point, but it deserves deserves praise, especially with, with Guion going. And it'd be interesting to see how they replace him, and and if they can even come close to continuing the 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 solid performances that they've they've managed to they've managed to sort of put in over the last sort of four or five months next season. Because you know this is a competitive league. Toulouse and and Troyes are decent when they, if they they're the favourites to come out from Ligue 2. It's going to be competitive again next year. Um, and and teams will progress and and make changes, and and they could be in trouble without him. So. Um, I just wanted to name check David Guillaume and say what a good coach mm. he is and what a great job he's done and, and he'll be missed. And hopefully um, him and uh, Stefan Moulin, who's in a very similar position at Angers, will be considered for, for bigger for bigger jobs if in Ligue 1 or even abroad. You know, if if it doesn't work out, say, with Genesio, perhaps at, at Rennes, you know, they're, they're in line for that 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 job or or even one of the big four at the moment. So, so um, yeah, uh, big up David, David Guillaume is my, my point. <laughs> yes, what certainly. We think it's uh, the replacement Oscar Garcia. Yeah, Oscar Garcia has been mentioned, hasn't he? And and mm. <laughs> in terms of France, I feel like in terms of French football, his, he was at Sanetti and obviously had quite a small window of time in which to judge him. And he obviously the five nil against Lyon, yeah. the, the famous five nil with, with the shirt with Fakir holding his shirt, and and the, I think there was a pitch invasion. It was game was finished sort of three minutes early. There isn't too much to judge him on, and he didn't do great after we went to did he go to Celta Vigo afterwards and didn't last too long. So it's a risky one. Um, he, he might be a, a decent coach, but I think in in such a tight league in in, in it where he has little pedigree, it's a hugely risky appointment for a team that's so sort of uh, sort of specialist, if you like, in the way they go about doing things. So yeah, I, I fear for the next season to be honest without without Guillaume. Yeah, it does feel. Like, it does feel without Guillaume too. I know exactly, Phil. We were, we were talking about this on the show last week, and I do feel that much like for Angers, for, for Rams, it is a bit of a sliding doors moment where they'll go from here, given that he is a coach who's not only brought them stability, but you know, massively overachieved, particularly in those first two seasons in Ligue 1. So, yeah, he will be missed at Rams, and we hope, along with Stefan Moulin, that they find uh, jobs elsewhere in the division or, or indeed elsewhere uh, at uh, jobs that uh, merit their talent as coaches. Um, the only thing I want to to raise before before we end is um, obviously can to, to congratulate uh, Paris Saint Germain who beat holders Lyon in the Women's Champions League on Sunday, uh, a two one win to secure their progress to the semi finals. Um, OL Femina, of course, are winners of the last five editions of the tournament, um, and this is the first time they've been eliminated before the final 
um, since uh, 2015. So huge achievement for for their rivals, Paris Saint-Germain. And the scenes at the end of that game were were pretty special and a nice, nice heartwarming, uh, nice heartwarming, some nice heartwarming scenes in what's otherwise a pretty bleak time, particularly in the men's game um, uh, this week. Uh, so yeah, congratulations to Paris Saint-Germain, who will now face Barcelona uh, in the first leg of their semi-final on Sunday, the 25th of April. Anyway, that is all we've got time for today. Many thanks to Phil and Adam for joining me. As always, please check us out on Twitter at GFFN for all the latest news from the world of French football. And check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com, for all the content, uh, for all the all the content you could possibly need uh, from the world of, of French football. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Philip Bagiel and Adam White. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the football and have a great week.